G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We're about to discover today that one of Australia's most successful small business entrepreneurs has an inspiring Christian foundation and that he has some more complex dimensions way beyond the popular image of a man pushing a lawnmower. Jim Penman is the founder of Jim's Mowing, the lawn care service franchise that has grown to more than 4,000 franchises in 50 different service industries and has an annual turnover of $500 million. Now that started as an Aussie business and now it's going global, expanding into the UK, New Zealand and Canada. That's not bad for a company that started with a capital of just $24. Well, some insights today into Jim Penman, his business, his personal Christian faith, and a less talked about dimension of Jim's interests as an historian with a PhD in the field of what's called biohistory. He even has his own theory of how civilizations rise and fall. Jim Penman, the founder of Jim's Mowing. Jim, welcome along to 2020. Good to be here. Jim, uh, it's always good talking to you, and uh, we did do a a little update with you some years ago, but what an opportunity today to talk a little bit more deeply. I wonder whether uh, you've got a a, a bit of an update. Some of those details that I mentioned, are they uh, they the right figures? I know business continues to grow for you. Yeah, well, we're well past 4,500 franchisees now. and, uh, yeah, we're, we're booming. We've had a, a very good uh, couple of years. And uh, so far as the couple of years goes, I know uh, some listeners will be familiar with your name and your face. You've been in the media at different times uh, protesting even some of the mandate uh, policies and uh, keeping some of your uh, franchisees uh, not even working in, in the state of Victoria. How's all that going so far as business goes and things are returning a little bit more to normality? Yeah. Look, I have to say I'm a very big supporter of sensible government um, actions. We've been very strongly supportive of um, vaccination program, for example, and, and, you know, wearing of masks and not having contact direct with clients and all kinds of things. But the the lockdowns that we suffered from where, where lawn mowing contractors and other outside workers working by themselves were shut out of work for no reason at all. And the government, the state, Victorian state government has never been able to give any justification or reason for throwing hundreds of thousands of people out of work. That, that got me quite upset. Um, well, as, as, as things are now, of course, um, that's all over. We're, we're all back to work, which is, which is great. But it's been a very distressing time. Well, certainly for the mowing uh, side of your business, uh, summertime and the grass has been growing crazily. No doubt your mowing side has, has been booming for sure. Well, all, all over, actually. We knocked back 328,000 leads last year. The, the actual demand for our services is way past what we can cope with. Wow. 
Hey, I mentioned that the growth of your business has been huge. And uh, when people think of, you know, the picture of, uh, you know, that's not actually a picture of you on the side of all of those trailers. Oh, it is. Yeah, it is. Actually, <laughs> look up Jim Penman images. You'll see the actual photo that was taken from. Right. Because it was me <laughs> against one of the old logo on, on a trailer. Last time, I, me. last time I saw you, you didn't have the beard. No, it was going a bit grey 21 years ago, so I shaved it off. But that is one of the most uh, well-known images, you might say, uh, around Australia, and it's your image on the side of those trailers then, uh, Jim and Jim's mowing. But uh, it's not just mowing these days. I mentioned there's 50 different uh, elements of your franchises. Uh, just give us a, a quick idea here how things have begun to expand into all sorts of things from, uh, you know, fixing television antennas and uh, to every other element in, in looking after home life. Yeah, well, all these things are very similar in the way they work. They're all services that people call up to get people to come out and do. So whether you're mowing lawns or cleaning or pest control or dog wash or all these things, they, they, they all work very much the same way. The same kind of software, the same systems of, of support the franchisees, the same systems of customer service. So it, it, the contracts are very, very similar, actually. So it's it's almost the same business in a way. And once you've got a system in place, uh, things can grow to unlimited levels. And as I mentioned in the introduction there, starting with $24 capital, uh, you've certainly been able to build on that $24 pretty substantially. Remember back to those early days when you did have $24 and you were starting your first mowing business, Jim. Did you ever anticipate things would grow as big as they have? No, I didn't. Though actually, Neil, I've been um, gardening since I was eight. <laughs> so I did it. I did it as a kid, just for a bit of pocket money. I I did it as a student. Actually, I bought my first mower as a student. I've been, I was, I've been in continuing the business since 1971, and that was only just a gap of a few years when I wasn't doing it. So it, it goes back further than that. The, the great thing, the thing about 1982 when I started off is that. Um, I, I just basically failed in my academic career and I had nothing to do. I had no potential job. So I just went back to mowing lawns, which was my student job. Well, we're going to get to your academic career too, because uh, it was at that time, as you say, when you'd finished a PhD, uh, that you weren't finding a lot of doors opening for you. So you decided to start a mowing business. Uh, that's pretty amazing. Yes, well... <laughs> I had not the slightest prospect. Look, the thing of it is, uh, what I didn't realise as a student, which was pretty foolish on me, that if to, I was in the field of history, and if you want to be a historian, get some sort of academic post, you need to become the absolute world experts in, say, you know, second phase of the Wars of the Roses or something. Well, I wasn't just not. I was not. I was interested in the whole range of things. I was interested in patterns across the world, East Asia, pre-Columbian America, ancient, modern, everything. And not just that, but cross-cultural anthropology and zoology and biology and economics. And so it was, it was a wild, very, very wide theory and completely inappropriate. There was no possibility anybody would employ me. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, sometimes people talk about uh, when you're studying history, uh, you've just nailed it there. Unless you are the world expert in a very mm. narrow field of history, uh, then you're not likely to get that academic post. So if you're interested in a broad cross-section across history, that gives you uh, insight into the trends 
that have shaped history. And this has been where your interest has really been peaked. And even while Jim's mowing has gone from strength to strength over these decades, uh, you've continued to develop some of your theories in the background. Yes, that's correct. I, I, I never gave up on it. Even when I was mowing lawns, I would always... If I could grab a day off, I'd go down to Monash Medical Library and, and read up on social, on primatology and so forth. And then I started writing. And, and as soon as I could afford to 10 years ago, I launched a research project on a very small scale then. But we're now spending a couple of million dollars a year. Got a fairly major project looking at um, basically what it amounts to initially is, is a way of, of helping people with issues like drug addiction, alcoholism, those kinds of issues. We might get into some of those, and uh, but come back to your uh, having felt like uh, you'd failed in your academic quest for getting a post. You've started Jim's Mowing, and you've got this interest that's going on behind the scenes. Uh, you're recognising there are some trends in the history of the world. Now, I'm not sure when it was that you began to have your interest peaked uh, around issues of a religious nature. But take us back to what it was that that captivated you in understanding things more deeply and uh, coming to a Christian faith. I was, um, I have to say, I was at that time a very militant agnostic. I mean, you might say anti-Christian. I I would go and and buttonhole people and ask what if they believed in God at, at a, you know, a church school and, and, and argue with them. So I was not just neutral, I was anti. What I, like the question I asked myself from the age of 14 was why the civilizations collapse? Why do they fall? Why is something as brilliant as Athens in the late 5th century or the Roman Empire in the 1st century, why do they, why do they decay? And what I, what I came to the conclusion was that the whole nature of civilization depends on character. People have a certain character, which we call a high C character, which is allows people to be productive, to form large states, to be democratic, to have all the things we associate with civilization. And what happens is when a society becomes decadent, then that system collapses because what's behind it, what's behind this C, this character, is traditional religion, and for the West in particular, Christianity. So Christianity actually drives behavior in such a way. Things like chastity and and fasting and Sabbath-keeping and other kinds of elements actually act like a kind of mild food restriction, has biological effects and changes character. And the changing character is what makes a civilization great. And And when a wealthy society starts to abandon the, the culture, the, the, these cultural technologies, these religions, then it collapses. Well, we might even get into some thoughts that you might have uh, what's happening here in Australia. And, uh, of course, when you talk about Western societies, you're including uh, nations like the United States or Canada or the UK and uh, some European nations. Uh, the thought that when a society becomes decadent, in other words, uh, they become wealthy, and their wealth becomes more important than the values that grew that wealth in the first place. Is that a, a fair enough way of thinking about decadence and, uh, and how you might need to deal with that? Yes, yes. It, it, it's wealth and urbanization that have this effect. But you can study it on rats. Basically, humans and rats are very similar in this respect. It's all to do with the limbic system, with the amygdala, and the way that certain hormones work, for example. 
So very, very similar approaches. Very easy to understand what's going on. Difficulty is trying to reverse it, trying to change it. So even rats have a problem with decadence. Well, yes, they do, actually. <laughs> we are well, going to... Example, con- I'll give you, I'll yep, give you yep. a, a certain example. If you expose rats to... Um, if you give them a sexual outlet at, uh, at adolescent male rats, for example, as adults, they'll have much higher levels of testosterone. Now, testosterone, people think of as being something quite positive and good, but in fact, it's very strongly correlated in human societies with... Um, poor work record with unemployment, with criminal activity and so forth. In fact, the only place that that testosterone gives you higher status is when you're in jail. So you can see the same pattern. So when you have, say, back in the the late 40s and 50s when Kinsey did the, um, his Kinsey report, which, which supposedly showed that sex was great, what he actually, his actual figures showed that people who had less sex as adolescents were far more likely to be successful in life, to have more education and to go on to a higher level of income. So when we have an unbridled uh, release of sexuality, uh, we're actually on one of those bad trajectory paths that could lead to a downfall even of an entire civilization. Now, I'm sure it's a lot more complicated than that, and I think we'll get into some of those complications as we continue our conversation, as we talk business, as we talk faith, and even as we talk the rise and fall of civilizations. Our special guest is a well-known face to every listener, Jim Penman, the face of Jim's Mowing, the founder of Jim's Mowing. We're back with Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our talkback line is open to an interesting conversation today. We might even uh, we might even characterize our conversation, the world according to Jim. Uh, Jim's mowing founder, Jim Penman, is our guest, and we're discovering that there's a number of dimensions to Jim, bigger than just uh, the smiling face of a hard-working gardener on the side of those trailers for Jim's mowing. 1-800-316-316. You might have your own thoughts about the things we're talking about today. Uh, you'll be welcome to join in our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Jim, uh, talking business, talking Christian faith, and this less talked about dimension uh, as an historian with a PhD in the field of biohistory, as you started to discover that there were trends that you could identify in the history of the world, these trends led you to think about Christianity and the values that shape nations. Uh, Take us through some of that journey. As I said, Neil, I started off with a fairly anti-Christian attitude, very rationalistic. I thought this is old-fashioned stuff, it's senseless, it's superstition, it's in the past. And I started to study societies. I realized that Christian values were absolutely fundamental to the success of our civilization and our society. And that opened my mind, you might say. I started to become more positive and at that stage, and it was at the age of 28, I, I happened to get to know some people in the Christian Union of the Crobe University. Um, and I got to like them, and they invited me on this retreat. And I went there, and I sat down for a quiet time first thing in the morning, and, and, I, and I stood up a Christian. I, I, just, I just felt that God had called me. And you can come to a decision like that uh, from thinking deeply about the way civilizations have risen and fallen and the factors that are involved there. So uh, the influence of religion, and no doubt there's a comparative way you can talk about 
Christianity and the way the West has been shaped and the way other nations around the world have been shaped through their history too. But, but this can lead you to faith. Yes, exactly right. Now, there, there, is, there is a difference. There is a distinction. You can believe that religion is a valuable thing for society and not actually accept Jesus Christ. That is a very different thing. But it, 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 it makes it seem reasonable, more plausible. It's easier to make the step once you understand. Look, the, the example Neil I give is this. If you, had a, if you had a washing machine, okay, and the washing machine broke down, and you went out to your car and you got the manual from your car, which in my case is the Mitsubishi, and you tried to fix your washing machine, it wouldn't work, would it? Because it's not the maker's manual. But however, if you were a lot more capable than I am about such things and you got the manufacturer's manual who made the washing machine and you tried to fix the washing machine, you'd do a lot better. Because the people who made the washing machine understand how it works. Well, to me, God is the creator. And the Bible is his maker's manual, which helps us to live a good life as individuals and society. Jim, your thoughts on Australia, and no doubt you've thought deeply about Australia's history too, because we started off with a good manual, didn't we? Uh, We had a biblical foundation right from the very first chaplain on the first fleet. And uh, we've seen dramatic developments in Australia according to the values in that maker's manual. Uh, We've got a bit of a change that's been happening over some decades now. Any thoughts, uh, if you're a broad brushstroke from Jim, uh, around Australia and where we're at right now? Very much the same as everyone else. You see all the problems together. You see the the decline of the work ethic, decline of discipline, decline faith in government institutions, decline of faith. There's there's a there's a same same problem, same process going across the whole Western world. People are losing faith in democracy now. What's happened in America is particularly shocking, but we're not far behind. And if this continues, if we don't stop it, we're going to go the same way as Rome. There'll be a collapse. The economy will collapse. Democracy will collapse, turn into dictatorship, and in the end, society will collapse. And of course, institutions evolve uh, because they're made up of individuals. So uh, individual faith and values within uh, the, say we're talking government institutions here and uh, whole nations, it, it does start with individuals, doesn't it? That's right. That's the difference here. I don't believe in, in, in impersonal market and political and economic forces. What I believe in is individuals. If individuals change, society changes. You know, wars don't take place because of governments. They take place because of people. People are more aggressive. You tend to fight a war. And it actually patterns. If you can have a look at the reasons war break out, you can look at the actual dates that they break out, and you can look at the demographic patterns, and you can say, ah, there's the reason. Take us back to, you mentioned, when you first came to faith in Christ, uh, you were on a retreat, uh, some friends of yours from La Trobe University, I think you said, and uh, you were participating in a quiet time, uh, a morning devotional, and when you got up from that, you realised something had changed in you. Uh, That change wasn't just for a momentary glance, uh, no doubt there are some things that began to grow from that time. How did that look for you growing in your early Christian years? I, I actually felt that God had spoken to me. I was actually writing down. I had a book with a red pen. and I, was, I started writing what I, what I truly believed to be a calling from God. And I just 
Well, I basically just switched sides. I'm a fairly extreme character. If I believe something is right, so I, I actually went out and started getting involved in evangelism. I went to an evangelistic coffee shop and I, you know, all kinds of, it was a wonderful period. It was really, really magnificent. Um, and I just started becoming very active as a Christian. I wanted everybody else to understand what I had. <laughs> I had discovered. It, it was amazing. That first year I could remember listening to Christmas carols and, and suddenly it was so overwhelming. I knew what they meant. I wonder whether there'd be some people listening to us now thinking, uh, well, it's not people with PhDs who are having these divinely appointed moments of enlightenment and coming to faith in Christ. But you were already, at that time, well-educated. What are your thoughts for the, for the idea that sometimes people who are highly educated do not easily come to faith in Christ? That's obviously not true. can have all kinds of problems and stuff. One of the problems with highly educated people is they get exposed to different kinds of propaganda, which can be very negative. You have very clever academics making all sorts of arguments and, 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 and statements and philosophical music and stuff, which, which amounts to an indoctrination. And at universities these days, there's really intense anti-Christian indoctrination. It's all around them, all their peers, their teachers, everybody's saying, oh, this is all rubbish, you know, you should, you know, sex and drugs and everything is all fantastic and, you know, God's just a myth and, you know, let's be free. And, and it's, it's a disastrous philosophy, but it's very widespread in that environment. Now, I don't want to baffle everybody here, but uh, in the sorts of theories that you've been working on and recognising that the values of a whole civilization can be affected by the religious influence on it, uh, you even have connected the way that people change with a biological behaviour as well. And uh, and we're talking here, and I think the, uh, the discipline is called epigenetics, uh, a studying of how behaviours and environment can cause changes in people. And so you've got changes in people who don't believe and you've got things that are happening in people that do believe. How do you describe that, Jim? What happens is that this is... When I was first did this back in the 70s, early 80s, we didn't know what... I didn't know what was causing it. I knew somehow the environment was affecting people's character, but I didn't know how. Only with the through epigenetics coming on since that in the decades since then it's become obvious that what you do in life actually affects the way your genes function and what what experience does is it, it, it's like the gene is, is a tap that's spitting out some sort of protein that's basically how genes work well what epigenetics does is it, it turns the tap on or turns it off so it, it changes what comes out of it changes the way the genes function and so what we've been doing in the, in the research study is, is figuring out exactly which genes are involved, which, which, are, which are being shut down, which are being opened up, um, and the different levels of activity, like things like cytokines and proteins and pheromones and stuff that actually result from that. And for some, it might be even challenging thinking about these things. But in some sense, uh, there's a certain logic and a common sense to it, uh, that when you come to faith in Christ and your focus is on a different set of dimensions, then something is happening inside you physically as well as spiritually. Is that a, yes. a simplistic yes. way of describing that? That is, that, is a, that is a perfectly sensible way of approaching it. Look, what you do as a Christian... Behavior changes character. 
behavior has an effect on you physiologically and all sorts of things like chastity, like how much alcohol you drink, whether you take drugs of addiction, like, like even how hard you work, how disciplined you are. Moral behavior has an effect. If you, every time you do something that you feel you should do, you're strengthening this aspect of yourself. You're making a physical, physiological change. You're changing your character. It's the same principle as, as any form of discipline. Discipline changes character, and it's a physical thing. It's not just purely mental. It's physical. And, and even prayer, for example, prayer, meditation, it affects your character in all kinds of different ways. When we, when we praise God, when we, when we give gratitude, that affects your body. It affects the way your genes function. Jim, come back to your, your business at the moment. And uh, some people might say, well, you started a business you're a Christian, therefore you're a Christian at the top and that doesn't affect the way you do business. Don't you do business just like anybody else? But uh, from what I understand, Jim, Christianity is right at the core of Jim's group. What do, how do you describe it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't believe my business would have been successful to anything like this extent if it wasn't for that. But just give you one example. Um, people talk about businesses, though, the only responsibility you have is to make money. I don't believe that. My goal right from the beginning was that my franchisees were going to be successful. That was number one. So even in the original contracts, I put clauses in which give my franchisees extreme powers that exist in no other franchise system in the world. For example, my franchisees can vote out their franchisors. They can move to a different franchisor if they're not happy. They can veto changes to their own manual. No other system allows these kinds of things. But So what I've done is given them enough power to make sure that they're going to be looked after really, really well because if any franchisor doesn't look after them, then they can do something about it. So the thought of empowering those who are working in your group, in your organisation, that actually comes from a Christian foundation. That's not just something that you picked up at a, a special seminar where someone was a wonderful uh, you know, a speaker that you heard and they came up with a great idea. This actually comes back to the core of your Christian faith, empowering the people who work for you. Absolutely. And the, 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 look, the, the, the core biblical passage that I would refer to is Jesus washing his disciples' feet, which, and I don't think people quite recognize how totally revolutionary that was, because in those days, washing somebody's feet was a very degrading activity. It was something done by a slave. Now, you might find a really revered rabbi whose disciples would wash the, the rabbi's feet as a sign of extreme respect. But for Jesus to do this, Jesus who was the Messiah, Jesus who was the Lord, Jesus who was the, it was extraordinary. And that attitude of service was something that was revolutionary to Christianity. And that's how I see what we do at gyms. We're here to serve our franchisees. Not, they don't work for me, I work for them. That now, attitude is fundamentally Christian. At the risk of this being, uh, you know, an unbridled plug for Jim's mowing, call Jim's and have your yard mowed, uh, the thought that uh, there are high standards for how you treat your customer so that you're not just greed-driven, this is a part of a Christian foundation that ought to be in every business enterprise, but uh, you've got it functioning in a working, operational way in Jim's group. Yes. Well, look, I'll give you an example. I'm the CEO of the company. We would take hundreds of thousands of jobs a year. If a client, like this morning, a client rang up who'd had a problem with a um, 
actually there was a blind that was being taken away and not removed. And they hadn't got satisfaction, so they wrote and they were put on to me. So I got back to them and basically said, if you don't get your blind back within a week, send me the, co- the cost of the replacement and your bank details and I'll pay you the money for it. I personally get involved in making sure that franchise, the clients are looked after. We had one franchisee who'd gone feral, who actually went and took a whole lot of money from different clients, over $100,000, and didn't do the work. Well, I'll tell you what, we're pursuing that franchisee through the courts. In the meantime, every client's got every cent of their money back. In fact, Jim, you say that you could not have been successful in your business without these Christian values applied into the very core of what you do. Uh, how do you describe that? Uh, and do you reflect on that frequently? The fact that, you know, you'd obviously be seeing that as God's blessing on you, but it's because you've been obedient to apply some of those principles that we'd glean from the Bible. It's, it's God's blessing, yes, that's part of it. It's also the fact that God's principles work. That what we're taught in Christianity by the Bible is a better way to live and a better way to run a business. But there's also a supernatural element. Let me give you one simple example. From the very first page when I started mowing lawns full-time, and I was desperately, desperately poor, deeply in debt, really didn't have any money at all, my equipment broke down, and I had to go and get some new equipment. And there was only but one place. It was just after Christmas, only one place open in the whole area. And I went in there. They was very busy. And I ordered a mower and a brush cutter, and he wrote down the amounts. And then he added up, and he gave me the sum, and I paid the amount of money, and I left. And as I left, I'd realized, looking at the paper, that he'd written the sum down wrong, and he'd undercharged me by $100, which in those days was, you know, two or $300. It was more money. And I was really, really, really in a bad financial situation. So I thought, well, that's just my good luck. So I would drove all the way to my first job, 15 minutes drive away, got the mower app, was on nature's trip, and I said, God does not want me to do this. This is wrong, no matter how desperate I am for money, and I really didn't even know how I was going to pay for this. I had to do the right thing. So I loaded the mower, went back, walked into the shop, and gave them the $100. And the manager was very appreciative. He said, if I, it would come out of my pay packet. But I thought, okay, well, really, later on that day, that same afternoon, I was doing a job for somebody, and I got into a conversation with them. This person was involved with the sale of office machinery. Now, I didn't, and I happened to mention that I was doing um, brochures. I didn't ask this. He offered. He said, hey, what I'll do. I can do some leaflets for you. He volunteered. And not only did he volunteer to do some leaflets, but he actually told me how many leaflets he would give me. And the value of those leaflets was exactly $100. And this was only about four hours after it. And I just said, God, thank you. Because what that showed me so clearly is that when I do what's right, then God will look after me because he knew how desperate I was at that time. But it was, it was far more than the money. It was the sign of, of, that I was being looked after. And I knew I could do the right thing and somehow it would always come out right. So the application of Christian values, uh, and so many will recognise, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And you're telling a story where you've exercised that thought that, Honesty is the best policy, and 
someone might not have noticed, but I know God is watching. There is a certain sense in which you test God. Uh, and you say, well, it'll be to my disadvantage if I go and pay that $100 back. But then you recognize that something special happens and God sets up something which to you, you recognize his blessing. Uh, there's something mm. special in that. So uh, for businesses thinking right now, you know, maybe I need to be testing God a little more and uh, exercising do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That Sometimes we know that as the golden rule. Uh, but the golden rule is a divinely appointed rule. Mm, that's right. Look, I, I, I'm a firm believer, Neil, that you cannot put God in your debt. You cannot. That if you do what you should do, somehow it will rebound to your favor. And it may not be financially. In that case, it was financial, but that was a great message. It doesn't have to be. But look, I've been in a situation where I was so desperate that I had to pay my tithing, my electricity bill, and my phone bill. You pay the tithing first, and the other things somehow get paid. I, I can't explain that logically or rationally, except that if you look after God, somehow it always works out. Jim, how do you get these biblical Christian values into the heart of your business? Uh, do you start? Uh, I think what you're just saying just now is that somehow or other you've got to write them down. How do you start? How simple is it? Um, I have a book um, called... Um, Every customer a fan, which people can load, download for free from our website, www.gyms.net, which tells the story of what I've done. And that actually is very helpful because it tends to attract people who have the right values. There was one lady who actually was looking at buying a cleaning franchise. And then she thought, because she was a hospital administrator, she thought, I don't really want to be a cleaner. But then she saw the, read the book and she said, I love these values. I love these values of service. She's not a Christian, but she's a wonderful lady. But she loved it. She bought a franchise, was very successful, became a franchisor a few months later, was incredibly successful at that. She now runs the dog wash division with nearly 200 franchisees. Sharon is just one of the greatest people you could ever meet. Now, it was, it was the, the philosophy, the teachings of the book that attracted her to us because she's a person that really loves people and really loves to serve people. And, and she's got that loving, wonderful nature. Well, we are taking... We're taking calls. Let's take a call, Jim, uh, from Daniel, who's in Minyup in Victoria. Hello, Daniel. Welcome along. Uh, good day, mate. I was just listening to your show over lunch. Oh, good stuff. What are your thoughts? Do yeah. you have a question or a comment for Jim? No, just a comment based on... It reminded me of a story in my life many, many years ago when um, I was working for a guy who did the wrong thing by me and owed me a couple of thousand dollars and I had subcontracted another bloke to give to um to give him some of the work as well, and so in essence, I owed him like um close on a thousand dollars and because I hadn't been paid, I wasn't in a position to type of pay the other bloke um which really, really bothered me as a Christian because I thought you know i I'd promised this guy work, he'd been a really good worker. But but I hadn't been duly paid by the guy you know who who employed us all, and I remember being in a men's group. Um, sorry, I'm just in sense. Yep, you were in a men's group. Yeah, I was in a men's group and um, sitting down and having a, a chat with a bloke, and and this guy from many from years past came up and said to me. 
Oh, Daniel, haven't seen you for a while. And I was like, yeah, he says, funny thing about this, he says, I've been thinking about you and um, I've got this envelope for you. And I was like, oh, okay. And so he said, well, here you go. This is, I uh, felt God to tell me to give this to you. And um, off he went. Well, when I opened up the envelope, it was the exact amount of money that I needed to pay the guy who I'd subcontracted out. Some things like that, they are beyond human explanation. Uh, Jim, Jim, your thoughts for Daniel, who shares a story a little similar to yours? Yes, that, that's, that's wonderful, Daniel, and that's great. That's a great attitude that you have. And, and yes, God does look after you. I think those of us who live by faith can, could point, point to many, many wonderful miracles of that nature. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very inspiring thing. Daniel, I'm glad you called. Thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Just leads me to the thought here, Jim, and I can't ask this of everybody. Not everyone has been as successful as you, but you can talk about the $100. You can talk about the $1,000 in the envelope. What about the million-dollar deals? Uh, you've uh, been at the forefront of, you know, a growth of a huge business, uh, huge turnover uh, in Jim's mowing. Does the same principle apply at the top of uh, the bigger deals, not just the little ones? Well, it applies at, at every level of the organisation. The principles are exactly the same, whether you're talking $100 or 1000 or a million or a billion. It doesn't. The scale is not important. The principles is what matters. Jim's actually had a pretty good sense of business. He was a very business-like person. I love the story of washing the feet, but I also love the story of the parable of the talents, that God means us to use our abilities and, and so the best ability that we have. And um, I also love what Jesus said about the rich people too, that it's harder for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, not the other way around, but that sort of story too, the dangers of wealth. That's the other, isn't it? But the point of it is, I think that's, it's, it's incredibly important too that when you are successful that you don't let the wealth destroy the base of your ethics, which, which too often happens. People who become wealthier become proud and they think, well, I did it all by myself and then they, they let God go. And that's, that's a terrible, it's a terrible danger. It's a terrible problem and they, and they lose what, what made them great in the first place. I'm determined that'll never happen. One of the principles that we have very strongly is we try to live reasonably simply. Like I drive a $10,000 car. We went out to dinner last night with my, with my wife, which was nice. We spent $60. We don't, we don't live like multimillionaires. And those sorts of values are, again, shaped by your faith. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Wayne is in Mackay in Queensland. Hi, Wayne. Welcome along. Hey, how are you, mate? Yeah, mate, I agree totally with this. what the man's saying. I'll just use myself as an example, testimony to others I have. But um, I grew up, drug addict for 22 years, became a Christian, um, done all them things and doing all them things that this man's talking about, tithing, uh, giving, and that I I um, I started, uh, I worked six months a year, but after that and for the last four years, I've got into cryptocurrency. I've done my research on it and my motive there with it is, because I put it to prayer, is uh, to tithe on whatever I get, to give where God wants me to give. And, um, and even besides that, when I became a Christian, 
Uh, I was in about $750,000 debt and the same thing there with the principles, uh, making God first priority in my life day in and day out. Um, Today I'm debt free. I own a house, whereas if I would have been in that same lifestyle and never became a Christian and didn't depend on God, I'd have most probably been dead. But, um, yeah, it's a different way to go cryptocurrency. I know it's a risk, but because I put it to prayer and I do make money on it, um, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody unless they do their proper research. And um, I just follow all the principles. I don't go overboard and put everything in there, test the waters, and um, I'm, I'm making nice money there. And God's blessing me and I'm blessing others through it. And that's the motive, motive of my heart. Wayne, good to hear from you, and we won't uh, we won't turn this into a conversation about cryptocurrency, but uh, the same principle applies uh, with investments and and behaviours uh, that you develop when you decide to be obedient to God and His Word. Uh, Jim, any thought here for for Wayne uh, just before we move on? Look, I respect his faith and his tithing, and that's great. Um, I have concerns about cryptocurrency as something that doesn't actually contribute to society. I personally, I'm not saying Wayne's done the wrong thing by his own lights, but I personally wouldn't get involved in any business or activity where I couldn't see benefit. I've got four and a half thousand families being blessed. You know, last we did our survey last year for our franchisees, only 7% reporting poor income, which is the best ever. That, that to me is, is what matters. I can see the value. Yes, we make money. We spend money in ways like research that are useful, but also we help people with what we do. I would encourage people to go into activities that have some real benefit to other people. And now maybe some forms of crypto may, but I think to a certain extent it, it, it can be a lot like gambling. Wayne, thank you so much for your call. And uh, whenever we talk cryptocurrency in a commentary on finance, we always say ultra caution is required. Let's take one more call. Trevor is in Hellier in South Australia. Hi, Trevor. Welcome. Oh, good morning, Neil and Jim. I was just wondering if uh, Jim has considered running for parliament. Running for parliament. <laughs> okay, Jim, uh, here's your opportunity to let us in on what's happening. Uh, I know I do. I do get people. Jim for PM is not an uncommon thing, but uh, I have to say, um, <laughs> I have a uh, strength in business, but I have some very major weaknesses. One of them is I have a terrible memory for faces as well as names. I'm also not very socially skilled. My wife says I've got borderline Asperger's, mild Asperger's. So <laughs> I don't think I make a great politician. Okay. Well, Trevor, thank you. Uh, good observation there. And got to wrap some things together. And I wonder whether we might come back to uh, the history and the biology here, because we've been talking about behaviours. And for those who really take a step of faith, and we've been hearing from listeners who've taken steps of faith in their business and they've seen God come to their rescue and uh, God bringing blessing on them behaviors and the way we then might feel about our lives uh, and when we're talking uh, you know uh, genetics and uh, 
uh, all sorts of issues around the scientifics and the biology here, the behaviours that we have actually can contribute to the way that we actually feel about ourselves, a sense of well-being. And I wonder whether that relates not just for the well-being that we have in our lives personally, within our family, in our business, but to our whole society if we get things right and then uh, bad things if we get things wrong. A few uh, thoughts just uh, to top things off, Jim. Any thoughts around just the way these sorts of principles apply across the board? I'm a great, I have a great interest in the science of happiness, Neil, and it's not really, being happy is not really what most people think. A lot of people, most people tend to think that if I had more money and I had more stuff, I'd be happier. But in fact, studies show that buying things has almost no relevance to how happy you are. You actually get more happiness from experience system you do from buying stuff but then you know the number one thing that you can do with money to make yourself happy and this isn't me this isn't a christian speaking though i am a christian it's scientific studies you want to use money to be happy give it away and give it to some cause that you're involved in that is a number one best use for money And again, that's got a biblical foundation too. Hey, it's been great getting your insights today, Jim Penman, Uh, whether we're talking business or your personal faith and even connecting biohistory to the things that we're talking about today. There's a bunch of books that you've written and for listeners who might be thinking, oh, isn't Jim just the picture of that guy on the side of the trailer? Well, Jim's written a whole bunch of books, uh, one called The Cutting Edge, Jim's Mowing, a franchise story. There's one called Surprised by Success, the very Australian story. The earlier versions. The latest ones is every customer a fan. It's just got okay. up to date. But you can download these for free from, from the website, www.jims.net. Meet Jim. Just have a look in there and you can download anything you want. Okay. Jims.net. Uh, meet Jim and uh, links to all sorts of dimensions to Jim, who we're talking to today, the founder of Jim's Mowing, uh, the CEO of Jim's Group. Uh, Jim, just great getting your insights. Thank you so much for joining us today on 2020. Great to talk to you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.